This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Okay, thank you very much, Odil, and I'm extremely pleased to be invited in this important, for me, important topic uh, about end-of-life care and working with families. Um, yes, I'd like to discuss with you defining and measuring quality of end-of-life care. See what is currently uh, available in the evidence and uh, are we, do we have definitions and do we have measurement tools to, the, to, to measure actually the quality of end-of-life. Now, um, I do have nothing to uh, disclose. So learning outcomes for the next half uh, hour, I would like to address it as to define quality of dying in an ICU. And also after half an hour, I hope we are able to identify areas of quality improvement in the end-of-life care pathway of a child. And I, as I particularly like the word pathway because there's something going on from the transition from curative treatment till palliative care almost. I mean, that, that we almost uh, often talk about end-of-life care, but it has, a, in my perspective, there's more than only end-of-life care. We have little knowledge about how this whole pathway really works. And also at the end of this session, I would hope that we can able to be describe instruments assessing the quality of end-of-life care. How relevant is it? How important is this session? How important is it for us nursing community in Europe? And if you look at this recent um, Delphi studies published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine from uh, supported by ESPNIC, is that a large group of nurses in Europe from experts from the pediatric intensive care have actually defined that improving end-of-life and palliative care in children is the top priority number one in Europe where we nursing should focus on. As well as on the second one is the communication and decision-making process around uh, foregoing and sustaining treatments. So basically, you would say, yes, this session is important, but also a large group of nurses among uh, us in Europe would say it is important. We have evidence about it. Now, if you work in the neonatal intensive care, there's another study we've done, and it just recently is online at um, ADC, the fetal and neonatal edition. Um, again, you can see that end-of-life care practices in neonatology is within the top three priorities we should focus on. Now, now you can ask yourself, why is it important? Is it important because of the, let's say, the emotional issue where where if you are taking care of a child that is going to die in the unit, is it because of the emotional impact of staff, of parents, and that's the, the impact makes it an important issue, or is it just because we, there's little out there to support, actually, or little evidence out there that supports us uh, giving, uh, providing high quality of care? The relevance. Now, this is a nice paper. Let's look at the relevance. How big is our group? Eh? This is a paper reviewing death occurring in a 48-month period a few years ago in a Tetra hospital. 
in a PICU and an NICU, where you can see that death on the ventilator withholding CPR uh, with no um, withdrawal uh, of treatment, there were quite a number in the PICU and less in the NICU. And then here, withholding and um, treatment, withdrawing treatment, there's more in the NICU listed down there. So we do have a number of patients, and in percentages of patients dying, we seem to have quite a number of patients where we do have end-of-life decision-making processes in place. In terms of documentation of end-of-life decision-making in the week preceding to death, again, you see a sort of a, there's a shift between PICU population and NICU population, where, of course, it's evident that in the pediatric intensive care, um, you will see there's more chronically prolonged illness, disproportionate care in the PICU and less in NICU uh, uh, um, uh, patients. Um, as well as in the prolonged prognosis of quality of life, uh, you will see that that is a major issue in NICU. So although we all take care of critically uh, care um, infants and neonates, that we do have differences in both populations in both ICUs. Um, the relevance itself for the pediatric intensive care was, was documented in our study in the Eurodice 2 study, where we looked at 409 children in 45 European PICUs, and of them there were almost 409 died, where of 166 children, a decision to forego life-sustaining treatment was made. Now, if you look at the reason that's also impacting possibly your decision-making process, main reason of this decision was the presence of severe neurological damage or a severe handicap. So now, that's fine. So we know the importance of the topic uh, that we nurses in Europe would say, yes, it's an extremely important topic, but we also see that we have a number of patients in our clinical area who have uh, difficulties and where we find um, or we face actually the difficult decision uh, withholding or withdrawing a treatment. Before we go back, and I must admit it, this is, this is an issue where has been in my, my uh, topic area of research for more than 10 years. I was extremely difficult to find in the literature a, a really clear definition about quality of dying in the de and death in pediatrics. And just recently, this, this uh, month is still online, the group from America, from Boston and, 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 and New York, they defined at the end a definition called the degree to which the hopes and priorities of the patient and of the family for the process of dying and the moment of death are respected and met, particularly this met. And I really like this definition because it's, it, it, it goes back to actually our parents. It, it has hope in it because hope is one of the top priorities of needs of parents in the ICU. That's documented widely in many papers, but it also looks at meeting the needs of parents. Did we really deliver optimal care in this process? Now, I'm really in favor of this picture, which is supported by uh, Irene Hart. Thank you very much. And it's an ethnic picture. And I do agree with the, with the statement that suffering and not death is the enemy. I mean, yes, we talk about our care. You go from curative treatment to palliative care. So the care is... Um, 
limiting treatment does not limitation in care. And I think that's a, that's a major issue. And it shows here that we have to take care of our children even in the last days or hours of their life. Now, here you are. How can we define the quality of end-of-life care and how does that prioritize for parents? Now, you've got a large group of, um, of colleagues in the U.S., in Boston, um, and Elaine Meyer is one of the leading authors uh, publishing a lot about end-of-life care. Well, she done, in 2006, an interview with parents, and they were able to identify, actually, for them, six areas and they would call it, actually, this is what we define as quality of care uh, uh, in the ICU. And once again, it's honesty and complete information. Actually, you would say, in order to maintain hope, yes or not, uh, ready access to staff, communication and care coordination, emotional expression and support by staff, as well as pres preservation of the integrity of the parent-child relationship. And faith is definitely one of the major issues which we should consider. Now, this was in 2006. Fine, let's go for the recommendations. Based on what they, this group have done, Bob Truock actually then come up with um, a paper telling about towards interventions to improve end-of-life care. Because he addresses the argument is actually that although children account for only 3% of all death in the USA each year, these patients and their families have needs that are uniquely different from those of adults. So today, however, and now I think this is important, no research on interventions to improve end-of-life care in PSU has been informed. Now here you are, we are 2006, that's less than 10 years in the past, no interventions. And then if you really carefully look at the literature, and I went back and I thought, yeah, we've done lots of studies, but mostly observational studies. How are we doing? Uh, what is the, um, uh, what is it, uh, experiences of parents? Uh, how many patients do die? So basically we're just actually focusing on how we are really doing, but no interventions to improve any issue about quality of life uh, in, and, and end-of-life care in the ICU. That's striking, and he puts it down in the paper in 2006. Now, in order to do interventions, you need outcomes, and you might need also outcome measures. But that is another process we are going to work on. So if you go back to this paper, you've got quality and recommendation. He puts a few domains, like one domain is support of the family, there's shared decision-making, and the shared decision-making is quite, an, an, let's say, a cultural-dependent issue. In the U.S., it's often shared decision-making, where parents are almost forced to be the ultimate decision-makers. In Europe, we've published with Denise Victor an overview that we might not have a shared decision-making, but more into informed decision-making for parents. Because uh, at the end, in the Dutch situation, the physician is the ultimate decision-maker by law. And in many countries in Europe, that we have laws who is the ultimate decision-maker. So there are cultural differences. Um, relief of pain and other symptoms is another domain, and you can see quite a number of suggested interventions to improve, actually, the care. Ethics is another domain where Bob Truer uh, sort of developed another two interventions. 
as well as the communication with the child and family about the treatment and plans. Grief and bereavement support. We will come back at the end of this session having a few interventions about grief and bereavement support, but at least these are actually uh, interventions which we are clearly defined to look forward for the next coming years to go forward and look whether we're really doing uh, our best in delivering the quality of care. So my question was actually, why did it took so long? You know, I mean, it's, ah, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, on one hand, we've been looking at many research on how we do, but where are really the interventions in the publications? Basically, you could say it didn't take so long because we are doing a lot of interventions. Yes, we are. On a scientific base, I would say, no, it's not out there. Not enough. But yes, I do realize as working in cl clinically, we're doing a lot of interventions, great projects, but somehow we might not have the time to write it up and share it with others. And this is possibly one of the forums where we would share our, our great work. Um, is it because possibly small groups of children dying? I mean, yes. I mean, uh, people would not like to give big grants monies on a small group of children. Is it just, just lack of money? Is it do we have a lack of researchers, nurse researchers? Or is it like it's a bit of a tricky thing and a bit provocable? We like the, I, the real ICU stuff. I mean, end of life care, fine. No, give me a patient on ECMO who survives. I mean, that, this is a bit... Um, uh, in, uh, the attitude of us nurses. So tell me, is it still a cry, yes or not? I'm not sure. Um, and I, I'm happy to argue with this position whether we have a lack of evidence on interventions. Now, if you want to measure the quality of end-of-life care, we, we, we need tools. And, and, and this is about, it's, it's, it's a process we're in at the moment. I mean, We've done lots of research how we're doing. Now we're, uh, we have a turning point that we want to improve care in interventions, but we need to measure the interventions, and we need validated tools. So one of the tools is uh, by Kathleen Meert uh, developed. It's called the Bereaved Parent Needs Assessment Tool, 68 items instrument measuring parents' needs and need fulfillments around the time of death of a child. The, B, the BPNA um, is to identify specific areas of parental needs which supportive interventions may be needed. So they argue on a scale of one to five, those statements related to fulfillment support scored below four would actually areas where we should actually try to identify interventions. Now, it's 68, it's quite a long uh, questionnaire, but here are a few of the, let's say, below four mean scores as they suggested where we should take a look at. Now, if you closely look at these interventions, um, for example, um, to, to be able to sleep in my child's room, well, yes, in America, possibly the PICUs have all single-bedded rooms, while in, the, in Europe we don't have it. Well, would we have another three million to build a new PICU everywhere? Is that an intervention that's feasible for us nurses? So some interventions listed here are organizational types we might have less influence in. Um, there's another one here at the end, at the bottom of the 86 uh, scale, who are all below four, to blame someone for my child's death. Well, that's 
that's sort of the, the sort of almost the faith and the guidance which, which we can give as an intervention, possibly on a nursing and phys, uh, physician level. And I think basically any intervention which we should look at should be a multidisciplinary intervention. So they, they, they this, this, this paper gives you at least for, food for thought to look at uh, interventions. There's another um, uh, measurements tool that just came out. Um, it's online ahead of print at the Journal of Pain and Symptoms. It's a pediatric intensive care unit quality of dying and death 20. Now, there is an adult version called the QODD20. Now, this group uh, acknowledged that actually that is developed in adult intensive care for family members of adult patients. And if you read that paper in the introduction, the argument is, listen, we need to go back to our parents, do focus groups, um, and do a literature review because uh, we think that the, the impact and developing such a questionnaire is completely different between adult intensive care and the pediatric intensive care. So they did indeed here, they look at... Um, uh, all these intervention studies like focus groups, uh, interviews with parents, literature reviews, and they came up with a, a number of domains which would be important to include in that questionnaire. So now here is the questionnaire I can show you. Not, you, Yeah, you can read it. Um, it's then again developed in 10 domains like pain, communication, uh, this decision of withdrawal, and so forth. Um, and then it gives actually all sub subheadings, uh, statements within the domains. Um, so this is what they believe a validated and a reliable tool to measure actually the quality of death in the ICU. I've been challenging you, where are our interventions? What is going on? And then I recently come across um, the in critical care medicine from Kathleen Meert and her group again uh, talking about this new novel intervention New framework for physician-parent follow-up meetings after a child death. Um, my first impression was, what? 2014 is published out. Forget it. In Holland, we're doing that over. It's standard practice that we do have follow-up meetings six weeks after the death of the child in all PICUs. And it's a multidisciplinary thing. We haven't published that widely. And now here suddenly they talk about a physician parent follow-up. Now I would argue help, because where are we nurses? Shouldn't it be nurses involved? Should it be included in the meetings? At least where I worked in Rotterdam before is that was almost a nurse-led intervention where nurses and the physician were collaboratively working on the follow-up meetings. And I think, yeah, that's nice. So participants, they would say, study participants in this study included critical care attending physicians, bereaved parents, and meeting guests invited by physicians or parents. And I thought, yeah, I'm happy to argue that because it shouldn't be physician-led at the end. Uh, basically, my argument would be that um, it's a, it's a nurse-led intervention that should be um, multidisciplinary uh, organized. Now, now, here they look at uh, the physician adherence to the framework. There was a training program for physicians, and they observed uh, the, um, the follow-up uh, uh, talks with the parents by video recording, and then they scored actually on the video recording a few issues like opening the meeting, were the family members welcomed, um, um, 
during the meeting, what kind of issues during the meeting were actually uh, present or were not done or what not even appropriate. Because um, basically, yes, it's good to, if you have an interventional program related to education by, in this case, physicians, you would evaluate that possibly by a video recording. I'm almost coming to the close because I do believe that we do have a lot of good interventions going on about end-of-life care. However, it's not that widely published out there for, for all our colleagues. But I think uh, the EAPS Congress here, we do have some very well examples. Um, and I take the example of uh, Cindy and Kim, who are actually done a European survey in NICU related to uh, infant deaths. Now, we talked about this follow-up talk, and if you look really on the follow-up talk, you see 80% of all these NICUs who reply do have follow-up meetings with parents. And I th so that is actually the, the evidence which is out there, but we haven't possibly evaluated how well these follow-up talks are uh, uh, perceived by our parents. So I leave you with this moment here, with this um, statement. I always use this slide because I do believe that caring for a, death, a dying child is one of the most difficult responsibilities we face, and, and it has uh, several implications. So uh, thank you very much for your attention. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.